Hello there, everyone, and welcome to our documentary panel, part of the BAFTA Scotland session, supported by Screen Scotland, a virtual series to celebrate some of the nominees and nominated programmes from this year's British Academy Scotland Awards. These virtual events are part of BAFTA's learning work to share expertise from film, games and television with audiences far and wide. You can check out BAFTA.org and BAFTA's social channels for more activity and news. You can join the conversation on social using hashtag Scotland Sessions. And please do ask any questions you might have of our panellists tonight. We will have time at the end. You can send them in via the Q&A function on Zoom. Closed captioning is available now, which you can turn on at the bottom of your screen. So please welcome our speakers tonight. We have John McLafferty, The Battle of Sky Bridge, nominated for Single Documentary and Director Factual. Matt Pinder, Murder Trial, The Disappearance of Margaret Fleming, nominated for Director Factual and Factual Series. And Anne-Claire Pilly, producer of Being Gail Porter, nominated for Single Documentary. Hello there, everyone, and congratulations on your nominations. Thank you. Thank you. Well, John, what, what does it mean to you to be uh, nominated for this award? It's magic. I mean, like, I... Um, you always want to do good stories and to, to get involved in, in like, I mean, I knew this story, but I was a bit younger at the time when it was all happening. So I was kind of dimly aware of it as a kind of, um, you know, as a thing that happened. But then Tern got in touch with me and uh, said they wanted to do this. There'd already been a documentary made about Skybridge, which was also very good, actually. And um, I, so it was great because it was a chance to do this documentaries like big characters, big shots of the sky bridge um, and uh, you know I'm sort of always want to do kind of stories where the wee guy takes on the big guy and, and wins and actually weirdly this is one of those rare rare stories where um, it's like almost a study of activism where um, the, the little guy won in the end and uh, spoiler alert <laughs> yeah yes yeah spoiler alert so I mean it, it, it was it's just lovely to do and also, you get to go up to Sky and hang out for like a week and stand in the rain in your Gore-Tex, and it's actually brilliant to do that. So I, I, it was great. It was great to do it, and I, I love that. Um, it's great to have it kind of nominated because it gives us. Um, it just makes you feel like you've done a decent job. Yeah, well, you have, and we'll, we'll talk more about the the, the process of it. Um, and Claire, uh, being Gail Porter. Um, that had a huge response from the public because it, you know, it was a very, very powerful piece. Um, you know, you, you must be delighted to get nominated and um, with the response because it really touched a nerve with a lot of people. Yeah, I was, I was really, really delighted with how people responded to it. Um, I was really pleased for Gail too because I kind of felt like she'd really, you know, in some ways. You know, nothing that was in that film was actually new. It, it was all, it all been in the public eye. There's always, every single bit of that had, you know, of her, of her life story um, had been in the papers, because that's what she's like. She does talk about her life. Um, but here it was kind of collated and curated, you know? And, um, and I think, I don't think, and it maybe brought it to a slightly different audience as well. You know, it was kind of like tabloid fodder and it'd been on daytime TV. And I think, for her, it was a kind of, you know, I, she's an incredible talent and, um, you know, she's an amazing presenter. And I guess for her, things are kind of unraveled a little bit publicly. And this was her chance to kind of tell, to set it straight. And that was a massive gamble for her. And I felt very uh, responsible for that. And, you know, there's no denying it was a, it was a difficult, difficult process for both of us. Um, was, it, was it her that approached you or did you no, no, her to do no, it? How did it come about? It came about because um, I was working at TURN and um, I, I heard, I was working on the development team actually, and um, I heard that, uh, that Gail Port had, been, um, had gone bankrupt and I hadn't known that. 
And I've always kind of felt like, because I'm from Edinburgh and um, I'm just a wee bit younger than her. So I kind of like, I feel like she's, she's, she was like the big sister that I looked up to, you know, when I was, when I was growing up. And I was kind of aware of her because I'd worked in Edinburgh in production companies there. So there was a lot of people going, oh yeah, you know, we used to work with Gail Porter and all of that, you know, so there was a lot of that kind of chat with the editors and things that I, that I worked with. And so um, I, was, I was really intrigued by her story, I always had been. And when I found that out, I thought I'll try and get in touch with her. I wonder how I can get hold of her agent. I bet it'll be difficult like it always is. And then I found that she's, I think she had her mobile phone number on Twitter. <laughs> On so, Twitter. She doesn't anymore. She doesn't anymore. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was very easy to get hold of her. So that's how that's how so I got in touch with her and said, listen, we'd like to do something with you. And we did a taste of tape, uh, which was basically just an interview with her straight down the lens. And it just it kind of blew everyone out, you know, anyone who saw it. I, yeah, it was kind of like she's just she's very, very I mean, I think that's what makes her a great presenter, is that she very she's incredibly disarming. Yeah. And she just she just tells you everything and so it's impossible to be in her company and not also tell her everything about yourself you know because that's so yeah. but when you're putting it into a program you know yeah. you, you have to be you know very careful when you're yeah. you know, she, yeah, yeah. You know she, she's clearly vulnerable but there must have been times where you thought well are you yeah. sure you want to say that or yeah or keep that in well there were bits that we had to take out that we took out um, mainly on kind of self-harm stuff. Um, uh, so that wasn't her request. Anything she didn't want in came out. Um, so, um, I mean, in terms of, I don't know, I don't, there were very few moments where I think, it, you know, it would look, it was a gamble because the thing is with, with Gail, she was at a point where it was very difficult for her to get any work, frankly, you know, and um, and and I think because the kind of rep reputation preceded her, and I think that reputation is quite unjustified and also quite look. If you've got mental health problems, you should be able to talk about them. You know, like we're you know we're that we you know it should be we should be able to get a gig despite you know notwithstanding your 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 mental health issues because she's clearly a good presenter you know and um so I kind of felt like this was her opportunity to kind of to, to set the record straight to 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 um you know to kind of say to put a line under all of that and say look this is what happened this is how I see it right and then that allowed her to move on mm. So I guess I guess it was always about trying to keep the bigger picture in there because, you know, I did I did kind of feel like, yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's tricky, but at no point was there anything in there that she didn't want in there, obviously, and and on top of that, I just kind of think there was a bigger picture thing as well that that made made it made it make sense for her, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Did Did she see the film before it went out? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if anything, if there'd been anything that she wasldn't happy about, yes, you would have taken absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. She saw the film. She saw the film. I don't think what she liked watching it. She she yeah. she always says she didn't really watch it, but she saw the film. You know, she. I don't think she liked seeing herself on camera. But um, what about the stuff of, uh, with her dad? Because I, I mean, I found that absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she was happy to keep that in though, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She was, and so was her dad. Yeah, so. Yeah. Look, you know, everyone's got their own takes on events and everyone sees things. And we all know this as kind of like when you show films to your contributors, people take away something very different from it than, mm -hmm. than what you fear they will or yeah. think they will, you know? Well, in the end, it, it, it raised awareness of, uh, you know, yeah. of a very important issue. Um, and Mac, let, let me come to you because, you know, we all remember that hugely disturbing um, story on the news about the disappearance of uh, Margaret uh, Fleming and then the subsequent murder trial. And I must admit, when your programme first came on TV, I just kind of assumed it was the usual kind of TV journalist backgrounder that you would, you know, you would get from somebody like me, but, but it was very, very different. What made you decide to 
to do this story and do it the way you did it? Um, well, we, we've been filming with the, the major investigation team at Police Scotland for maybe a year before the, the trial happened. And so we, we knew about the case and there was that option to, to tell that, that story retrospectively and uh, just of the investigation. And then the, the great thing that happened was that the sort of protocols for filming inside courts changed and became more open. And uh, we were allowed to put in an application to, uh, to see if we could get access to the, to the trial. And um, amazingly, so the application was accepted. And um, I mean, the, 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 this project, you know, a lot more than others, there were so many stages where it really could have fallen on its ass to put it bluntly, but uh, just every hurdle we seem to sort of manage to get over it and, and yeah, finally got into the court. And, and that's what really made a different, that, that unique access to the, to the trial, basically. But it, it wasn't just a, a, about, about the trial, it was about putting Margaret at the center of, of the story. I mean, did, did you have a, an idea in mind of the, the, the type of story you were going to tell and, and the way you were going to tell it? Um, certainly, I mean, we, we had to wait until uh, there was a verdict, obviously, before we could uh, make final decisions on, on, on you know, if, if everything that was alleged was proven to be the case in, 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 in court, then, um, you know, it was, it's a, a, a a, a tragic story of someone that was, you know, forgotten about, um, and 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 the guilty parties are not just the two people that were convicted, but just society as a whole. So we wanted to sort of open it out and sort of force people to uh, try and look at themselves and you know uh, see that um, you need to look out for your neighbours, not not to be pompous about it, but you need to sort of make sure they're sort of vulnerable in society. Uh, uh, yeah, looked at, looked, looked after. Yeah, and and Claire was talking about the, the duty of care that she had to to, to Gail Porter. And you, you felt you had a duty of care to Margaret Fleming and, and her story. How did you gain the trust of all those people that you got to speak to, from, from prosecutors and um, to, to to people who knew the family, who were close to the family? Uh, yeah, no, it was it was tricky, and it was a long, long, long process. Uh, we, we'd already, like I say, been working with the police uh, for quite a while, so we had good relationships with them. But then, starting with the ju judiciary and the Crown Office, you know, that, and I can't take credit for, for sort of negotiating all that access because there was a whole bunch of other people that, that did some amazing work in that respect. Uh, but you know, it, it takes time and uh, to build up trust and and. Yeah, we, we um, the first series of uh, murder case, which which is a series we did with the police, uh, had gone out. So um, that was lucky in the sense that people could watch that and and see that we weren't there to take the piss or you know you know weren't irresponsible in, in the sort of films that we were trying to make. So that helped a lot, uh, but I mean, with these sort of tricky access films, it just does take time, and and you have got to, um, you know, meet with people and and look into their eyes and explain what you're about and be honest with them right from the get go and not make any promises that you can't keep, but also um, try and convince them if they don't already believe that it's a good idea that it is a good idea. So. You know, it's 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 hard. It's um, did you did did anyone ever say anything, or did you ever get something that you thought, oh, that that's good, but you know, you, you weren't sure whether they would be happy with you using it, for example, or uh, any surprises? Uh, I mean, the trial was full of surprises. Um, uh, when one of the the accused took the stand uh, and. Um, came out with you know it, it was a performance for him and uh, you know we had no idea what he was going to say um, and so, some of it was sort of potentially a bit edgy to be you know and and uh, always with these kind of films you, you want to be sort of factually accurate and stuff so you know you have to um, weigh, weigh everything up like that. 
And um, John, um, trust must have been uh, uh, very much an issue when you were telling the, the, the Sky Bridge story. I, I, obviously, you had to build relationships with the people who were involved in the campaign. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of funny because I, I encountered a little bit of the, um, the kind of modern thing where people go, I'm not speaking to the BBC. And they're sort of like, well, you know, like you, you have to sort of build a relationship with the people and um, sort of offer that you have integrity and you tell them what you've made before and things. I mean, it's slightly different than Matt because, you know, the documentary I made had happened. So it was kind of like, like all the events were over and by quite a long time. So it was a retrospective telling. And um, it's, it's sort of slightly less forensic. I mean, I can be a little bit more print the legend um, because what you're trying to do is, um, you know, get people interested in the story and, uh, because there was lots of nuances to the Skybridge story. And for example, lots of the protesters fell out with one another and, um, you know, broke into different factions. Now, um, I sort of like, you know, I knew that happened and you, you, you can tell that part of the story, but in a way, I think it was kind of, you know, I had the luxury of trying to go, well, let's extrapolate a bigger truth from this or, or like, you know, to try and keep it focused so that, you know, if people were watching and they didn't necessarily know the story, it wasn't, I didn't feel that like the, the fact that some protesters had differing approaches than others was, should necessarily affected the, the, the kind of fundamental truths of what they were trying to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you had to, you know, you had to win trust and you had to like, um, you know, sort of, uh, sort of meet people. I mean, we went up to Sky, uh, which doesn't really, to be honest, take a lot of encouragement to go up to Sky, but we went up to Sky and met people and sat down and had a cup of tea and explained what it was about. And there was, there was a couple of people who didn't want to speak to us and just um, for what, whatever reason, they weren't nasty about it, but they just didn't want to be involved. Um, but, you know, we got there and it, 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 I think uh, the feedback I got was most people were pretty happy with it. Um, but, you know, as I say, there was a kind of, uh, there was a very much pronounced difference of approach between the protesters about how they should approach the case, whether it's a kind of, you know, and almost, uh, because it ultimately ended in victory, there was kind of different claims about why they got there. But I think what, what we wanted to do was, as I say, go, right, well, look, this is a, this is a story about where, uh, you know, people power won the day and, um, you know, if you want to go off and look into it, then you can. But I mean, like, I think we just wanted to sort of like um, enjoy the fact that they won. And, um, and and in fact, that was one of the, the storytelling terms. It was quite difficult because when they won nine years after um, after the kind of protests started, and it was so weirdly anticlimactic because Jack McConnell just came up and went to a primary school and said, well, there's no tolls on the bridge today. And like some primary school children did that. <laughs> it was like totally anti-Hollywood. It was, you were just going, that's like, you know, it was a wet day. There was like six, you know, 10 school kids who didn't even know what it was about. And Jack McConnell standing in a suit going, so there's no more tolls on the bridge. So we had to figure out a way of ending it and, and, and sort of making um, it feel kind of quite emotive. And uh, I worked, my editor, Noel Nellis, is very good at that kind of like um, confecting a moment from what we have. Uh, and I, I think we sort of got there in the end, but it is just funny. Sometimes like when you're telling a story, um, it, it's like, it, for me telling a story like this is very different from Matt's piece, which is absolutely brilliant, I thought, but um, it's, it's just that it's not forensic in the way like, mine in the way like panorama or you know dispatches or something like that has to be has to be absolutely legal, legally correct this is more like well we can take a bit of our past and talk about it and enjoy it and enjoy the journey of what happened yeah i'm interested to know um uh, the use of the dj from coolens radio as kind of a narrator did you just stumble on him and thought this is great we have to use him to to sort of no. tell the story, or was that always the plan? Well, that, well, the plan originally was I had this kind of notion that I thought, you know, this let's make this like an old legend of the Highlands or something like that. And at first, I thought we'll get like an old boat tack, an old like sky guy who sits by a fire somewhere with a whiskey in his hand, and we shoot it in lovely lenses, and, and he tells the story. 
And then when we were um, kind of uh, going up for a recce, we met Drew, who's the, the DJ in, in the, in, and I thought, oh no, hold on a minute. It would be better if he is like broadcasting the story. And that means then we can sort of cut to people listening on radios. So when we were on the shoot in the back of the car, we'd like, like a bag full of different era radios. And every so often we'd jump out and give a tourist one and say, can you sit and sort of look like that and look like you're kind of compelled by it. And then obviously we add the sound afterwards. So um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just sort of turned into quite a nice device to do it, I think, because it allowed us not to have a conventional narrator. It allowed a sky voice to narrate it. Um, and um, the chap drew who, who was one of the protesters, but um, in, in the in the documentary, he sort of was the role of narrator. He he was very much up for um, you know for it, and he read. I I, I kind of wrote his script with him a wee bit, but like you know he read out it all, and uh, I kind of directed him uh, to do that. So I mean, it, I, it worked out quite nicely, I think, at the end, and was sort of added an extra texture to it, you know. Yeah, it it, it was a lovely touch. Um, and Matt, um, I, I wanted to ask you about the way that you told the story uh, of Margaret Fleming and how you used um, the, the arch archive footage, um, because obviously you had to troll through a lot of BBC stuff. And I, I particularly like you, you, Susanna Allen was the main reporter who got that interview that, that led to the, the charges for the, the, um, uh, the two people who um, uh, who were charged with murder, um, but you didn't, you know, you, you didn't just use the stuff that was broadcast, like as I, a, a journalist, would have just used a wee clip of her piece to camera, but you, you used some of the off-camera stuff and some of the phone calls that she was making and and stuff like that. Why, why was that? And, uh, I mean, it's always nice to, to show new stuff that people haven't seen, for sure, and, and uh, we, we got lucky, to be honest, that the, the you know the news guys don't always keep their rushes, uh, but on this occasion they had. They, they, they obviously filmed the whole interview, and um, potentially there was the, this situation where they just kind of uh, we'd, we'd end up just with what was broadcast. But actually, yeah, they they kept everything, including the the pieces to camera that Suzanne did before and after the interview, and they <laughs> they they were great because they included some chat. Um, that she had with her sort of producer back in the in the, in the studio uh, on the phone about you know this this um, case is extraordinary that this is what's what's going on it's a total mystery and uh, you know it really sort of helps put you in the moment when you've got that sort of yeah. uh, genuine sort of response that people have to a to a moment uh, you know they, they've not got the the front of a of a sort of presenter up uh, they've just been themselves. It's weird, Matt, isn't it? Because they, when you see the stuff that's on before broadcasting, it's like peeking behind the curtain and it feels like it reveals character. Yeah, so totally. When a reporter puts on their reporting face, then you sort of like, you, you, you take it. But when you see them kind of, uh, you know, playing with a radio mic or something like that, you go, oh, look, what, who, is that who you are? You yeah. Know, and, and also you're reacting along with them rather yeah. than just watching a report, which makes you yeah. one step removed from it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the shots of her have been shown around the house where um, these two people lived. And I, I mean, she'd never seen anything like it, the conditions that they were living in. Uh, and you really see that in her face. Um, and, and the off-camera stuff in that is just, you know, priceless. You know, it was a total gift, gift for us. But, uh, and she was very gracious in letting us use all that stuff as well. I can ask one more, one more thing, sorry. When you found the writing on the wall, that's an extraordinary moment. I mean, uh -huh. what, did that, how did that play out in real time? <laughs> um, well, I, I, we, we had access to the house. We'd gone in there with the police um, before I went in with, with the, uh, the, the officer that we filmed with. Uh, so I, I knew it was there. Uh, but he didn't, when he'd gone, when he, he was the first officer on the scene uh, on the night in question, uh, and uh, there was a sort of book cabinet covering it up, so he had no idea that it was there, so we, he, he gave us a tour of the house as well, and we were asking him questions, and I knew it was coming up, 
uh, and I knew that he didn't know about it. So um, just before we, we cut to it, I said, what's that down, down there? And he sort of looked and it was his sort of genuine response to seeing that for the first time uh, that we were able to catch, capture, which was, which was great because, you know, he, he was genuinely, um, well, it's, it's a ch chilling moment for, for anyone to see that. For, for, that's how I felt when I first saw it. Um, and, and that was his um, response to it that we were able to capture. Which was Very much so. Gratuitous. Um, I, I felt that, that, that you, your, your films um, managed to strike the balance because I, I'm one of these people that feels a wee bit uncomfortable with crime as, uh, as entertainment, you know, the making a murder or something where people are tuning into the next episode like, like it, you know, like, like it's a drama or something. But were, were you conscious of, of, of trying to strike that balance? You know? uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, but I think... I think as long as you've got the sort of emotional truth of a, a situation, you've got the the testimony of the people that were there and that they've been genuine about it. I think it's fair game to use all you know all the tricks in the book to 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 make the the films as engaging and uh, interesting to watch as you can. You know, music, uh, nice aerials. Um, and people are so used to sort of, you know, the Netflix sort of style filmmaking these days that um, when when things uh, don't look as good as they could be potentially or don't look like a, a drama, uh, you know, they get a bit fed up. I think so. I think it's fair game to as as long as you have got the emotional truth there. I think I think and and, and why would you not? Because um, you know, if you just want to tell the story write an article about it or, or make a, a, a podcast or whatever. If you're making a film, make a film. That's what, what I say. Was it important to you to um, um, speak to people who knew Margaret, to paint a picture in our minds of, you know, Margaret as a human being rather than just a murder victim? Uh, that, that was fundamental to the whole thing. And, and uh, uh, it, it wasn't easy to, to track these people down because um, uh, uh, some of the people that knew her were, only knew her from, from the school days. I mean, she was missing for the best part of 20 years. Uh, no one had seen her for that long. So you're asking people to sort of try and remember the person that she was back then. Um, and, and, and yeah, finding people who were willing to, to talk about that was, was quite hard. Um, so some of them were witnesses in the trial, so we, we, we kind of were speak to, speaking to them as they were giving evidence, or just after they gave evidence. So like the, the teacher, for example, yeah. um, who was just a, an extraordinary woman um, in a lot of ways. Um, it was great uh, having her on board and, and, and willing to sort of, sort of go on camera. Um, you know, brave, brave enough for her to sort of stand up in court and say what she did. and. And then come on, come on the TV and do it as well was was incredible. And um, Claire, can I can I ask you a bit more about the the, the process of your filming and how you know how you structured the filming with Gail? Did you just go and and see what you got and and put it together, or did you have a structure in mind and did it change over time? Yeah, um, so no, I kind of did have a structure in mind. I thought it was always going to be um, a bit autobiographical. Um, we actually did the interview with the psychiatrist first. That was the first day, so that was that was tough for her, bless her. Um, so, but that that kind of then it meant that we could like figure out where where her. Um, yeah, like basically what the story be, you know, what 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 her um, you know, what her biography was effectively through that interview, and then you could structure it that way. There had been we had thought about kind of dipping in and out of the interview, like so you'd go. I remember when I was at school, and then you'd go to her at school, but it it worked better just having her do it. She's she's really good, so yeah, she that, that's how we did it in the end. It's good going back to Edinburgh as well. <laughs> And, and how long were, were you filming? And, and was she suggesting speak, people that you speak to, or, yeah, or were you? Yeah, yeah, she suggested people. Um, I mean, I was kind of saying, you know, this kind of person would be good to speak to. She suggested her dad. She suggested um, 
her friends, you know, from way back, obviously, I, I, I don't know them. Um, and uh, yeah, no, she, she, she was very kind of involved in the whole, in the making of it. Um, but I think for her, it was always really just about, you know, getting the word out and, you know, talking about it. And that, that was her main motivation, you know, that's why she was doing it all. Um, so I think that's what she got out of it. Well, I hope she did anyway. How long did the filming process take? So it took about three months for beginning to end. Um, and I think it was seven, about 19 days filming or something. 18 days maybe, yeah. And and did you have to be kind of mindful of giving breaks and, yeah, you know, yeah, just... It was, it was kind of like, yeah, we, I mean, quite early on, yeah, I realised, you know, that it's important that she... That, that there are breaks and stuff because it's, it's tough you know it's really tough for her to kind of go through all of that again yeah so yeah it was it was it was tricky you know it was, it was very hard and also there was a lot of travel and you know she was coming up from London and I was going down so yeah how has she I mean you must be in touch with her since and yeah. um, how is she feeling about having made it now and, and the program I, I think she I think she really really is pleased with it and I think I think because it was it was a very difficult make and it, it wasn't always I don't think she always kind of quite understood where I was going with stuff which is totally normal and completely understandable you know like and why are we doing this again you know she comes from live tv you know so it's like you know why are you doing this again I don't know why we shoot so much in documentary I mean you know it's enough to rile any contributor never mind someone who's having to well just for, for those that don't know how how much do you film I mean how many hours of footage do you I have no idea how many hours because you don't get tapes anymore so it's no I have no idea I, I just know I shot for like you know 18 days or something like that you know and, and that's a lot you know uh, and you know kind of asking her to do just kind of revisit that. I've covered that. Why are we doing this interview now? You know, it's tricky, you know, and it's it's not like it's part, it's our, it's our grammar, it's our grammar of making a film, but it's her life, you know, and it's her like emotions and it's her breaking it over again, you know. So I suppose that's part of it, that is is the relationship that you have built up with her of trust, yeah. you know, building up to filming and, and throughout filming. How yeah, do you yeah, how do you yeah. keep that going? Yeah, I mean, you know, both for both of us, it was it was it was a tricky one, you know. And I think it's one of those ones where, at the end of the day, it was it was the outcome. It was a fact that, you know, it's really hard to explain to someone what's in your head and why you're doing something, until there's a final piece. Yeah, and and not just that, not just the final film. It's when you get the reaction from the public as well. It's at that point that people know, oh, okay, right, I get it, you know. Um, and uh, and I think when she got that, I think she's she's just been she's been delighted with it because it has it's her story, it's her it's her words, it's it's her version of what happened. You know, it's her her story, her it's her truth. You know, so and uh, and and it's not just that. It's not just about for her. I think actually, you know, for me that was important because I kind of thought like like here's an incredibly talented person who's not you know, who should be doing stuff and anyway. Um, but for her, I think it was much more like, I just want people to talk about this. And clearly that has happened. You know, clearly people have talked about mental health issues and yeah. are talking up, up right at and, and while it was hard, you know, it was it was hard and, and heartbreaking to, to watch in places, it yeah. wasn't important to you that it, it was also positive, you know, that, 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 that people would get something positive out of it. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I think she, I think, look, I mean, I think the thing is, it, it is also, you know, naturally a positive story. She is in a much better place now. You know, I think her her very difficult times are behind her. And um, so I don't think that was, that, that didn't have to be contrived. You know, that was just there. Um, yeah. And um, John, I wanted to ask you about. Um, I, I was talking to Matt about finding archive footage, but you know, some of the stuff um, on your program I recognised from seeing it on the news at the time, but a lot of the stuff I'd never ever seen before. Um, how did you uncover your archive? 
Well, uh, actually, a lot of the programme was premised on the fact that um, Tern TV had been in touch with a cameraman uh, who had covered the story and had kept, amazingly, his, all his tapes. And I mean, you guys know that normally, like, news stuff just gets junked or, or they only save a bit of it. But this guy had... Um, He's in the, in, the, in the documentary, actually, and he'd covered the whole thing. And um, so we had all this kind of footage. Now, the weird thing about archive footage from that, there's a kind of horrible period of archive where, um, where the cameras weren't very nice. Because in the 70s, it was all on film, so it all looked really cool. And then, um, but in the kind of like late 80s, early 90s, it was all shot in kind of videotape. So it had a very- I remember that was my era. <laughs> A very particular quality to it and um in that uh you know it, it looked very much of its time uh, but you know he covered it all really well and um it was lovely to see that footage and to have that kind of source of footage and we, we took stuff from elsewhere uh, as well so um the good thing was when i was interviewing the you know the protesters and, and all that most you know more or less all the things they talked about i knew there was coverage available um and so so we you know we and we even we made that part of the story as well that it, that it, that was all covered because again uh the protesters they basically wanted coverage that was important to them to get you know so um we, we knew all that was there and uh it, it just kind of like helped a lot and also they, the protesters kept a load of um you know, leaflets and, and, and like documents and all that. So it, I love the monks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. You know, I've been mugged on the Sky Bridge. I think it was they, they had written on them. So, I mean, it, it, all that was 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 good and uh, like added a kind of richness to it. And, you know, um, a bit like Matt's thing, we, we found a lot of archive, which was just kind of the stuff that is not normally broadcast where you know things are out of focus for a bit but then they come into focus and, and viewers even if they don't think about it they sort of know that that's not the stuff that's normally broadcast it sort of feels like um i mean it's almost becoming a wee bit of a cliche nowadays when uh, a lot of documentaries do that thing where you see the person sitting down in the chair and putting the microphone on and things i mean that's that's playing in the same idea the idea that you are getting behind the scenes access that you're getting to see something that you wouldn't normally see so you know it's um but yeah yeah it was it was the archive was lovely and i make a lot of archive shows and um uh you know occasionally you know you you just you shuttle through it all and you you use I mean, i've got a great archive researcher um who i use and she finds these moments and you know occasionally you sort of see something and you go oh brilliant we'll put that in you know and like you know what we weren't ever going to be short off and, and Sky Bridge was kind of big views of the Sky Bridge and kind of like, you know, you, the good thing about doing something about something that is literally as concrete as that is like, if you're ever running out of material to cover the story, you could just use another nice shot of the bridge. And, you know, people people don't mind. And I mean, like, sorry, just finally, the, um, you know, there's like the night of the initial protest on the bridge um, you know, there was there was that lovely shot of the pipers coming over the bridge with the headlights behind them and the, in the pouring rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and you know that was all there, and you know, and you again with with a good editor, you can sort of build up to that. You know, you've got all the elements, but you don't just sort of like put it down. You go right. Well, how can we story tell this? How can we wait to the last possible moment so that when you see the pipers coming over the prow of the bridge. You're like yes, this is this is I this is what I need at this moment. So it, I think the archive is like um, you, you know it's great to find the moments, and then when you have find the moments, it's to put the thought into how you can melt them for the maximum kind of impact of that moment. Yeah. Uh, and Matt, I mean, obviously um, digging through archive footage was was part of, of what you're doing. Do you have somebody that? just does that and are you looking for moments that you you know as John said that you uh, like with Suzanne Allen that, that the viewers might not necessarily have seen before what are you looking for when you're looking through archive footage and t telling this story? Um, yeah no definitely uh, surprises is, is, is what you're looking for and um, I, yeah I, I do sort of find myself sort of sitting on YouTube for hours and hours and hours just trolling through 
crap videos uh, for the most part, and then maybe you stumble um, across a, a wee shot that'll just um, really fit the bill, uh, and you get all excited because uh, it'll really help you out in the edit. Um, but YouTube is your friend, but it's also your enemy as well because you can get um, into trouble sort of just thinking that you can use any any old piece of archive that you find on on, on the internet. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it's useful to have someone who, who knows how to clear archive and, and knows what, what, what the ultimate cost is. And, you know, especially if you're making something sort of for the international market or, or for theatrical or whatever, it, it costs a lot. You have to think about rights, yeah. You do, you do, for sure. So it's, it's a complicated process. Uh, and archive projects are some of the hardest things, projects you'll ever, you'll ever work on, for sure, for lots of different reasons. And Claire, there was a bit of archive uh, in yours yeah. because it, um, yeah, yeah. it was Gail, Gail's uh, TV career. Um, yeah. And you think, oh my God, you know, I, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, no, there was a loads, there's loads of stuff, Gail. There's hundreds and hundreds of stuff. We were a wee bit, um, I mean, I have to say it was really Gary who pulled together a lot of the best, the best clips from, well, I've, I found it like a little robot and then he would, he would put them in beautifully in ways that I hadn't thought of, of doing it. Um, Gary's, Gary's my editor. Um, uh, but um, yeah, no, I mean, look, there was loads of stuff. Uh, I was frustrated that I couldn't use a lot of the big breakfast things and, you know, some of the Channel 4 stuff because it was all, all had to be BBC. Um, and that limited. Was that a rights issue? There was so much stuff, yeah. There was so much stuff that that wasn't, I guess, that, that big an issue. Just so what are you looking for when you're looking for archive? The same as uh, well, I think I think in in that case it was you almost so obviously there was there were moments in the film where we had archive that illustrated a moment like you know I don't know that when she when she uh, when she gave um, you know, when she when she got pregnant she she announced I think it was on. Uh, um, I was on a cookery program, I can't remember which one. But anyway, so she, she she announced that. So obviously that's part of her life story and it's part of our biography. But, but there was also bits that we would use, like she's on a panel show and you talk, you know, she like she she, she turns around the car to say sad and you know, you use that in the like a bit more creatively to so you, these guys are much better at, at archive than I am. <laughs> it's my editor who did most of it, but yeah. But yeah, no, you have to, you know, he you have to use it um yeah it's I think what he taught me in that in that edit was like how to use it creatively so you're not just it's not just about plotting out a story if you know what I mean yeah uh, a good editor um Matt and John is crucial isn't it yeah oh for sure yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um no I've, I've been totally lucky for the last uh three or four years I've been working with the same person on uh and it's just great to have that relationship when when you know, just thinking the same thing for the most part, and uh, um, it, it just becomes a sort of uh, really natural, um, yeah, relationship. One of the one of the guilty secrets of um, directing is that you go into the edit, and sometimes you go, "This is the way it's going to be," and then uh, your editor goes, "Try it this way," and it looks absolutely brilliant, and you're going, "You're completely right. I'm completely wrong." And then someone comes in and goes, I love what you did there. And you sort of like have to, you know, it was sort of him. So I, I worked with a, a chap called Noel Nellis, who's, who's I, I think a brilliant editor. And um, so collaborative. I mean, it's not like um, the kind of Hollywood version of directing where you, you point fingers and snap, snap to say cut here. I mean, it's just not like that. What happens is you go in insecure and hoping that somehow the, your rushes will shamble together to make something and your editor, you know, sort of helps you and sees things sometimes in your rushes that you've not seen yourself. And, um, you know, and also like, you know, you, you work collaboratively, collaboratively with uh, your archive people and all that. And like, you know, sometimes things come up that you never are used in ways you've never intended them. And it's, I mean, that, but that's part of the process. Can you give us an example from the Skybridge programme? Uh, no, sorry, entirely off the top of my head, but I mean, you know, the, for example, in the Sky, well, I suppose in the Skybridge program, we we wanted to do something that 
resonated of like older times and older protests in the Highlands and, you know, um, uh, you know, my editor Noel, uh, we, you know, found some nice old archive and we got somebody to talk about the clearances in, in, in Sky and he put together this lovely little sequence and all that. And it just, it just enriches things, you know, so um, not, uh, not everything, I mean, maybe for everyone else it is and I'm just like a chancer, but it, like, it, it's not all like, a blueprint where you know exactly what you're going to do. You've got a, a, a tone and an idea of um, how you're going to put things together. But, you know, one of your biggest decisions is who you're going to cut with because, you know, you're you're in sort of like handing over your rushes to that person and you've got to hope that they've got the same sensibilities as you. Um, and also that, you know, sometimes you're going to disagree and that's fine because it's just like, you know, you've got to figure it out between you what works. And Claire, how long did the editing process take on being Gail Porter? We had six weeks. So, yeah. Six weeks. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally second that. I kind of think, well, I'm definitely a chancer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all waiting to be found out, I'm Claire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, editors are so crucial. Like, editors are the first thing you should think about, you know, when you're making a film because they're the ones who really, really make it in the you know, last six weeks, you know. We've got a couple of questions coming in uh, now. Uh, the first is, can you give me some tips on pitching a documentary idea? Um, Matt? Um, to be honest, I, I'm, not, I'm not great at pitching. At Are you not? To be totally honest. I mean, just as a, as a kind of job in director, you, you don't really have time to um, uh, well, I, I don't anyway, just to sort of stop and think about, you know, new ideas. Uh, most of the uh, things that I've got commissioned have come out of stuff I'm already working on. And, and you've met someone who's going to do this next or knows someone that's done this incredible thing. And well, it, how it did comes you pitch, out of that. How, how did you pitch your first one? Can you remember? Uh, well, no, I, I, um, I've, I've pitched um, some what I thought were just incredible ideas. And got, and got absolutely nowhere. So I'm generally not the best person to ask. What, what I normally do is 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 make a, a film because uh, like a taster tape. I mean, uh, and for me, that's the best best tool that you can walk into or send in advance. Ideally, uh, this taster tape because if you can if you can let the work or the or the characters or the story speak for themselves, then um, you know you don't have to. And <laughs> for me, that's that's a that's a blessing. And what would the duration roughly be of a taster tape? Um, it varies, but it, just to get you in the door, maybe you want to send like a two or three minute sort of taster tape um, that will give you an idea of uh, yeah, who, who the characters involved, what the potential sort of um, yeah, story arc might be, um, something like that. And, and something that gives you people a sense of the tone as well that you're going to take with it. Um, so yeah, if you can, if, you, if you've got time and you've got money and you, uh, you can make a taste of tape, uh, I, I generally think that's the best thing to, to go That's on. a good tip. That's a good tip. And Claire? I was just thinking what a great answer you just came up with there. So I, I think, you know, I guess it depends so much about who you're pitching to as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as a starting point, yeah, definitely a taste of tape. Because not only does it show you, show what it doesn't, it not only does it allow your character to speak for themselves, but also allows your initiative to speak for itself. So it allows, it shows that you care enough about this project and you believe enough in the idea for, you've actually gone to the length of shooting and editing something and putting it together, you know? So I think it, yeah. So, so for that reason as well, it takes, it takes a way to go and keep it short, definitely three minutes if you can. John? I'd say a couple of things. I'd say um, just on a practical level, go through a production company. Don't um, you know? Don't necessarily like run up to the BBC and hand in your envelope. I mean, uh, I, go to a production company because that's kind of one way of filtering it. They also say keep it short because if they like it, they'll want to know more. Um, I mean, there's a there's a you know you're passionate about your idea and you, so therefore you want to outlay every moment that will happen. But you know, I would definitely say no bigger than a side of A4, almost bullet pointed. 
and also tell people, I mean, occasionally you meet someone in the pub and go, I've got a great idea for a documentary. And you go, okay, what is it? And they go, well, I can't tell you. It's, it's my, you know, it's my idea. People, you know, very, it's very rare for things to actually get ideas to get stolen. If somebody, if somebody comes to you with an idea who's kind of new in the business or whatever, and you really like it, you will um, try to help them, I think. I mean, I think, uh, you know, this idea that it's like, um, it's going to be stolen is, is happens very rarely and finally i'd say you know also be realistic because you know um lots of documentary ideas are, are passion projects and that's completely brilliant and you should have a passion project but you know um it, you know if you're pitching to uh you know prime time bbc one in in scotland you know they're they're not going to make the documentary about tibetan yak's milk that you want to make unless you know so you have to have a sort of um yeah, you have to sort of sort of be realistic about it. So I would just say, you know, keep it short. And the idea's got to be, here's an intriguing idea. Do you want to know more about it? Because we think it's intriguing and we've got this access or we've got this story or we've got this archive that we've found. So kind of list the things that you've got and, and just make whoever it is reads it, want to pick up the phone and say, what's this all about? Because do you know what? Nine out of 10 times they're not going to. And that's also for us who work in the business. You know, most of the time, you know, just don't be fragile about it because you've got to pitch lots. You've got to kiss a lot of frogs, you know, because, okay. you know, it's not going to happen. Got, okay, we've got three more questions to um, zoom through before we finish. So uh, are there any documentaries which have inspired you? Anyone think of anything? Uh, Matt? No, I mean, there's uh, so many. I'm just trying to think of recent ones uh, that are still around. Um, you know, there's a series about the Iraq war that was on the BBC recently, which was incredible for me. Um, I'm a big fan of feature docs. So um, For Sama was in, uh, an awesome film uh, in that vein. And um, The Cave was brilliant. Um, one of the first films that got me inspired, uh, got me into documentary making was Capturing the Freedmans. Uh, from See that again? Capturing the Freedmans. I don't know that one. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a mad, mad story. I don't want to. I'm writing it down. Spoilers, but um, uh, I think it's yeah, sort of late nineties film. Um, but yeah, so many. Uh, um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll Try and compile a list or something. <laughs> that would be great. And and Claire, can you think of one that has inspired? Yeah, you? I, I think it's similar. I kind of struggle to kind of come down on any, but I have to say that sometimes, like my peers' programs are the ones that really influence me in a way. You know, like or I'd like to say maybe not quite peers with John and <laughs> and Matt, but. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do kind of think that it's just I'm I get really excited about some of the stuff just even on BBC Scotland, because I just think, you know, we're finally telling our own stories, you know, and and. Uh, you know, so, I just, you know, there's been loads of great documentaries just made. And, and the other thing that kind of bugs me sometimes is how when people talk about all the Netflix stuff and I think actually, you know, British producers are still making the best documentaries, you know. The one that I saw recently that I thought was absolutely amazing was the one, I can't remember, it was based about, it was a Storyville um, about a guy who um, had gone to North Korea. Does anyone remember the name of this oh, one? Yeah, the Mole. What was it called again? The Mole. The Mole. Wasn't that amazing? That was brilliant. That um, was balls incarnate, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> John, what about you? What, what documentaries have inspired you? I, I kind of... Uh, there's all the, the obvious ones. I really like Touching the Void. I thought it was fantastic and, and sort of astonishing. And I like Man on, on Wire. But those are kind of like, that. they're actually uh, low-hanging fruit. They're easy to like, you know, I mean, you can not like them. I liked, um, I, I quite, the Vulgarian in me, I really liked um, uh, Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix uh, recently. Just because I really like the storytelling. I mean, you watch it and it, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a popular documentary. It's not... Um, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, asking you to introspect that much. It's asking you to be entertained. But actually, when you watch the craft at work and the, you know, I like things that I watch and go, God, how did they make that? And that's kind of breathtaking. And I wish I could do it. I like things. I like to be jealous of things because they're so well crafted. And I thought um, 
I thought that was good, but uh, you know, I'd second these guys' choices as well. And uh, you know, Storyville is like a, a, is a great place to start for like you know uh, documentaries. There's always brilliant stuff there. Yeah. Um, another one's coming says access relationships winning trust sounds key. Have you ever had to change your plan completely and make a different documentary to what you'd hoped? Um, well, I'm Claire, we kind of touched on this with Gail. You were, you know, you were maybe taking stuff out or going slightly different directions, but has there ever been something that you just ended up making, you know, had to change the plan completely? No, never completely. Um, but I think you always have to be open to it, you know. What about you, Matt? Uh, no, not, no, not so much. I mean, I think if you are honest right, right from the get-go and, and explain why you're making the film that you want to make, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's rare. Sometimes you're working with people, people that um, don't really care that you're making a film about them, to be honest. Uh, uh, which is a weird one. Uh, so that, that, that I, I probably shouldn't name, name names, but uh, there's, there's, there's been a couple of times when when you've sort of had to, yeah. Basically, that's what makes documentary making interesting because you never know what you're going to get. Basically, you know, entirely. You, you can't. It's certainly observational filming that, that you're walking into a situation that could go any way of a million different ways. So. That, that's what I find fascinating about it. Okay. John, John, briefly, because I, I want to get to the last one and we're running out of time. I've never had to abandon a project, but I mean, you know, yes, things go wrong. If a short secret, I did a documentary for ITV a couple of years ago where um, we were in Africa and we were filming this uh, woman who was gathering honey and that was, it was all set up beforehand. And of course, she went to gather the honey and the bees came out the hive and they all stung her and we all had to run away and the presenter shouted at me and then the whole thing was a disaster and we couldn't use it and you know like you just got a shrug sometimes and go well it doesn't always doesn't always set up the way you want it i'd like to see that though and <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, we'll take this as the final question because we really are getting to the end of our time um, for those who wish to make documentaries about Black Lives Matter or climate justice, are these areas oversaturated with pitches just now? Any advice? Who would like to kick off? I'll go first. I mean, basically, make sure you've got a good story because an issue is fine. Like, you know, the, the, there sh should be issue documentaries. But I mean, in any documentary you make, you're trying to find what the issues are anyway. So what I would say is like, you know, be story led. If you've got a great story around climate change uh, or in Black Lives Matter, then that, you know, people will be interested in that um, and should be interested in that. And it's kind of like, they're all kind of eternal things. It's not just a, a fad. So I think it's the quality of the story. If you've got a, a a great story that ties in with those themes, then you've got a good chance of getting it made. Whereas if you're just saying, I need to make this about climate change because it's a disaster, then, you know, I mean, we know that, but what we're all looking for, I think is a great way of telling that so that it's uh, interesting and, and that there's a, there's a, you'd watch it. You don't feel it's, you're not getting, you don't want a lecture. You want to watch something that you enjoy. Okay, and um, guys, we've run out of time, but uh, before we go, I just want to ask you all, 2020, um, some year, it's made us all have to work very differently and creatively. How do you think this is going to impact on the TV industry in Scotland? Matt, first. Um, it, has, it has been a particularly shit year, but um, looking at the positives, I mean, it's, it's good. Personally, it's given me time to do a lot of things that I, just in a normal year you wouldn't normally get to do. So watching other films, uh, reading books, uh, uh, you know, doing bits of training just to try and up, up your game a wee bit. Uh, and also sort of communicate with other people. I don't think I've sort of reached out as much to other filmmakers as, as much as I have this year. And, you know, that's been really inspiring in a lot of ways. So. And Claire, what do you think the impact will be? Okay. I've learned how much you can, how much of a documentary you can actually shoot outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can do outdoors. Um, I think, um, I mean, also another thing that's kind of been a bit interesting is that um, we've, so I've been filming this documentary in the Western Isles and we've used local crew in a way that we might not have done in the past. And I think, 
I think maybe that will, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's just a temporary, it may just be a temporary thing, but I, th I think it's good that that's happened, you know? I think that's good that you, you know, that we don't, you know, that we're, we're reaching out to people who understand the communities that they're, they're filming, you know? Finally, John. I'm not sure, I mean, I, I think it kind of industry, our industry might change in the way that other industries change and there'll be more online meetings and things, but I'm not sure once, um, if things do go back to normal, in inverted commas, uh, how much it will actually change the filming process, because I think, I mean, in, in the past, we, well, it's been difficult to shoot sequences and, and you know, and sort of film indoors, um, but I don't, I don't necessarily see a, a long-term impact on actually the craft and, and the, the way narrative is told. I think um, it's just probably more a kind of practical thing. Um, but hopefully people are interested in bigger issues and people are, 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 you know, hopefully it's kind of like almost a bit of a, it's a perspective check-in for everyone. Okay, thank you guys all very much and congratulations again on your nominations. Uh, thanks to, to our supporting partner of the sessions, Screen Scotland. We hope that you've enjoyed the discussion. Do join the conversation on BAFTA's social channels and stay tuned for details of where to watch the British Academy Scotland Awards. Thanks for joining us from all of us. Good night.